Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Well, this year we have um, come up with a, a theme word, a theme phrase, if you will, um, that, that captures what we are wanting to do as a church. And um, as I was preparing this morning, these verses came to my heart. Let's look into Hebrews chapter 5, 11 to 14, and I'll read it to you. It says this, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use, hear that, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Last year, as we were getting ready for 2019 and we were thinking about the different aspects of what we thought God was wanting to do, we were searching for a phrase that would capture, that would, that would summarize, that would help us to remember what God was going to do. And uh, after... I don't know, we, I was just tossing, uh, we were really struggling, the last couple of years, the word has just come really naturally, but this year, we, we struggled a little bit, and then one day, I wasn't even thinking about 2019, I think I was just chilling and, and um, doing whatever I needed to do that day at, at work, and then suddenly, these two words popped into my head, and I know some of you don't really get it, and it's kind of like, who are you, why are you saying this weird foreign language? But the words that popped into my head literally were, stay woke. Stay woke. Those words over there. And um, yes, it is English, and I'll explain it to you in just a few moments. Um, I didn't really understand what stay woke meant. And I had an idea. I've never used it before. And um, I went to a couple of our young people, because I'm old now. I'm 33. But by, by the way, if you want to go to Levers uh, with Red Frogs, because they're so drunk, they call you 19-year-olds. It's amazing. Beck and I were there, and we were like, how old do you think I am? You're 19. It's like, yes, I'm 19. Thank you. Coming back next year. And um, anyway, so I didn't really know what it meant, and I checked it out with a couple of our young people and, and found out that it's exactly what I was hoping it would be. And uh, so it was really cool. And, um, and the, word, the, the word woke in itself, so take out the say, the word woke, um, was 2016's Oxford Word of the Year. It's crazy. Ah, yeah. And then in 2017, Miriam Webster decided to put woke into the English dictionary. So literally, if you have a later edition of a dictionary, you open it up and you check it out, the word woke is in there. Not just as the past tense of wake, but in the sense of stay woke. And... Um, this word woke came up in the early 1900s in African-American culture. And it was used um, with a real sense of social justice and, 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 and making political change. They were using it in a way that was um, quite a powerful word, but back then it, it didn't really catch on yet. It was used in some um, obscure literary uh, places, and then it just started to gain momentum and uh, really, in the 1970s onwards, uh, the African-American community really started to use this. In 1972, uh, in a play entitled Garvey Lives, author Barry Beckham writes, and I'm not going to put an accent on. If I do, I apologize. 
It says, I've been sleeping all my life, and now that Mr. Garvey done woke me up, I gone stay woke, and I gone help him wake up other black folk. And I read that because there's that sense of that's what it's all about. There was a sense that there was a whole bunch of people that were affected, that were affected by their skin color, but they weren't doing anything about it. They didn't realize that there was an effect that their skin color had on what was taking place in their society, in, in their culture. And so the African-American community started to really use this word as like, I, I'm going to woke people. I'm going to get people woke. I'm going to help them stay woke. I'm going to stay woke. And they started to use this, talking about it that way. Now our beautiful worldly culture hijacked that word and started to make it into a joke. And so if you search up stay woke, you'll probably find images like this on the screen. On the left, you can see a really fun one. When you clean out a vacuum cleaner, you become the vacuum cleaner. Stay woke. I like this other one. Beck and I actually got pretty close to it. We started uh, dating on 9th of December, and we got married on 9th of February, so, and Beck's birthday is on 29th of December. And so I've kind of done this. Find a girl whose birthday is on Christmas, and make it official on Valentine's Day. That's four annual gifts down to two. Stay woke. So for all you single fellas out there, don't say that we don't teach you practical stuff at Lift Church. We are for you, and we want to help you out. Girls, if you'll find a guy who's trying to make that happen, run like hell. <laughs> run in the, the other direction. It's like 14th of February. If you say, hey, do you want to hang? Say, no, thank you. In the Christian circles, if a, if a guy says, do you want to go out for coffee, it is practically a date. So please say no, and you will be safe. But I, I, I say all of this just for a bit of fun, but also just to give you an awareness of how this word's being used. And the root of the word woke comes from this sense of encountering something so mind-blowing, so mind-boggling, that you actually wake up. You become woke, and you struggle to go back to sleep. Our culture wants to make fun of it, and so they talk about vacuum cleaners, and they talk about saving money. But really, if you go back to the original word and how it's used, it's actually quite a powerful description of a state of mind. It's a powerful description of where you are at. And when I think about this, and when I think about 2019, I want to hijack this word for our Christian community. Because I believe that there's nothing greater than the love of Christ. And we were singing about it. We, we had communion to commemorate it. We were doing all of these things. We meet weekly because of what Jesus has done. It is the most amazing thing. And if you want to discover more about it over the next few weeks, we're going to talk at every single week. We talk about Jesus and how amazing he is and, and all of that. But today I, I do want to talk to our community, those who are locking in to live or who are locked in and lived. I want to encourage you to understand that we need to stay woke because there's a sense that God has awakened us to an amazing life. And, and that's another verse, and that's why I read that verse in, in Hebrews, because there's a sense that those people had fallen asleep. After receiving something amazing, they had actually fallen asleep. Let me give you a bit of background into the book of Hebrews, because I think it's fascinating. Most of uh, the, the letters in the New Testament, and so you can read them, uh, it really starts from uh, uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then all the way to the end, 
Those are known as epistles, letters uh, that people wrote after the church was birthed. And these letters often have a starting line that says, this is who wrote this letter. So the Apostle Paul uh, or, or, or Peter or James. And, and, and so they, they would know who wrote them. But the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, which is kind of interesting. But even more interesting is that most of these letters are either addressed to an individual or to a group of people. And so you will see in the, in the books of First and Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, or the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and that's where the book Ephesians come from, not Ephesia, which I get Ephesia. Anyway, so, but the book of Hebrews doesn't have that. And so how they came around to this title of this book is that scholars and the early church fathers, they looked at this book, they, they read what was written in this letter, and they found in it a whole bunch of references to Jewish custom, Jewish uh, tradition, Jewish understanding of God. Uh, in, in reference, there's a lot of references to the Old Testament, all packed into this one letter to who knows who. And so as they were looking into this, they, the scholars decided that, hang on, this author must have been addressing people who understood Jewish culture, Jewish history, Jewish sacred texts. And so they call it Hebrews. Let me give you an, uh, an example about what I mean about that. Uh, a few, quite a few years ago, Beck and I um, caught up with one of her friends, um, who she had gone to high school with, one of her close friends, and, um, and her new boyfriend. I think I was there as a bit of a vet to see whether I like this guy for her friend. Uh, it was evidenced by the fact that Beck asked me to bring my shotgun with me. Uh, I left him in the car, but we had this double date and we had this conversation and we were just um, chatting and getting to know this guy getting to, and just kind of having, having a bit of a good time. And in the middle of this conversation, Beck and, this, and her friend started talking about old school friends. Now, I went to Rosswine Senior High. There was about 5 million Asians and about 20 other white people. I did not know every person that went to Rossmoyne. But Beck went to a school where there were literally, I don't know, 5 people? No, sorry. 30 in your year group? 40. 30 to 40. See? Not that bad. It's not that off. And so they kind of all knew every person that was there. And they started talking about friends and what was going on in each other's lives. And so I think one of the names that came out was like, and you know Sarah? And Sarah, da 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 Now, they didn't mention her last name. It was Sarah. And me and this other dude, we are sitting there watching this phenomenon take place. And I, 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 was, just, I was just quite curious. And I said, how many Sarahs were in your year group? I think it was Sarah, I don't know. And they were like, oh, those three. I was like, how do you know which Sarah you're talking about? Oh, you just know. If you know, you know which Sarah we're talking about. I'm like, but how? It's like, you weren't there. It's like, of course I wasn't there. But I can't join in this conversation when you say Sarah and I'm supposed to know who Sarah is. And that was the kind of culture that their school had, the kind of background that they came from. They knew who they were talking about. And in the same way, the book of Hebrews, obviously the people, the intended audience knew a lot and had a huge interest and a huge investment into the Jewish culture. So more than likely, they were Hebrew people 
or Jewish people, and so comes the title of this letter, which makes this letter really interesting. Because as this author writes this letter, and takes all of this history, this Jewish history, the Old Testament, and compares it to Jesus, you can tell that he's pretty angry. You can tell that he's quite frustrated with this Hebrew people because they had this amazing foundation. They had this history with God. They were given, and in other uh, books, I, I think in Romans in particular, Paul talks about uh, the, the, the Hebrew people, and he says, to them were given the covenants, to them was given the law, to them was given the prophets, to them was given all of this history which should allow them to know God more than any other person on the face of this planet. But when we come to the letter to Hebrews, the author is saying, even though you have this history, you have no context to Jesus. And then he get to this place in, in that passage that we read at the start of this message, where, it's, where he's saying, we have so much to tell you about the life that Jesus has given to you. We have so much to explain about how your life is meant to look like about Jesus. But you no longer want to understand. You no longer want to understand. A little while ago, I heard a message, and this preacher was talking about a, a strange encounter with a, a Jewish friend. He was going to college in America, and he, he made friends with this Jewish guy, and they were just having a chat about faith. And um, this Jewish guy says to him, you know what, your Jesus could never be my Messiah. Your Jesus could never be my Messiah. And the preacher says, and he wasn't a preacher back then, I'm just going to call him the preacher. Uh, but he says to him, why would you say that? He said, well, if you look into my Jewish text, you would see that my Messiah is supposed to come as a hero for the Jewish people. He's supposed to set Israel back into a world power. He's supposed to overthrow the Roman Empire. But look, when Jesus came, what happened? Jesus could never be my Messiah. Jesus died at the hands of the Romans, so he could never be the Jewish Messiah. The preacher turns to Isaiah 53. Now, if you don't know much about Isaiah, he was a prophet and he was prophesying about coming Messiah, Messiah at some day. And he writes Isaiah, Isaiah 3. 3. And there is, and there is a, a subtitle there that is called the suffering servant. servant. And Isaiah, Isaiah sees through prophetic insight about what the Messiah was to do. And it says that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was wounded for our iniquities. That was what was prophesied about the Messiah's life which kind of was a little bit against what this Jewish guy was saying. Now, if you know much about Jewish custom, they love, they love their sacred texts. You go to the synagogue every single week and they'll be reading after reading. They go through the Torah many, many times. They have memorized it, many of them have, and this guy was no different. But when Isaiah 53 was read to him, he was puzzled and confused. He was like, why? Have I never seen this text before? Why have I never seen this text before? And he said, well, maybe you need to ask your rabbi, which is what he did. He went to the rabbi and he said, he read out Isaiah 53. He's like, this is, this is, this sounds like Jesus. And the rabbi says, we know and we don't know what to do about it. And that's why we don't read it. 
That Jewish guy goes back to the preacher and says, I need your Jesus. Isn't it interesting that we can have truth? We can have life in the palm of our hands. For many of you in your pockets, in your phones, that you carry day by day, but you can actually miss the truth. Maybe because it's a little bit hard to understand. Maybe because it's a little bit against what you want it to be. Beck and I were in Israel four or five years ago uh, as part of a learning trip. And it was really, really interesting. Um, and one of the things that um, they said is that most Jews that are living in Israel do not believe in Jesus. And in fact, they think that Jesus is a Greek person. Because the name Jesus is actually Greek. If the Messiah, if Jesus was a Messiah, he would have had a Jewish name, but he was having a Greek name, which was puzzling to them. And it didn't help that for centuries, the way that we paint Jesus is with blonde hair and blue eyes, which is distinctly non-Middle Eastern. And so when you go to a Jewish person and you say to them, you're Jewish Messiah, they get extremely offended if you mention the name Jesus because they think he's a Greek person, even though history documents that Jesus was actually Jewish. Not the Bible. History also corroborates the Jewish heritage of Jesus. But if you go to Israel, that's... Somebody needs to wake them up. But in the same way, maybe some of us need to wake up. Let's look at that passage, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Think back to when you first caught the message of the cross. Think about when you first got excited about the fact that you didn't have to make salvation for yourself. Think about the time that you heard about God who would die on the cross for your sin and give it to you as a free gift of grace that you receive simply by faith. What was it like for you back then? Because truth be told, most of us would have been in a state of searching for answers. And most of us were probably coming to the end of ourselves. Most of us probably got to a place where we knew that in and of our own strength, we would not be able to make it. That is a place that we were at. And so when we receive Jesus, we receive Jesus with joy. We receive Jesus with open hands because it's like, hey, it's a free thing. I'm Asian. I love free stuff. Give me that Jesus fella. And, and that was where I was at. And that was when I was like, wow, Jesus, I need to search more. I need to know more. It was exciting. I tried to understand which was evidenced by the fact that I asked questions. But as I continued on in my Christian walk, I discovered answers to many of my questions, and I also stopped asking as many questions. In fact, sometimes I felt like when I went to church and I asked questions, it was as though I was sinning because I had no faith, and therefore I was asking those questions. So I learned that maybe I need to put on a face, maybe I need to be perfect when I'm in church, maybe I need to pretend as though I have all the answers, and I stop asking questions. I stop trying to un understand, I stop trying to go any deeper. But things were coming into my life that were confusing me. 
I just didn't have an outlet for understanding what was taking place. You know, Jesus kind of talks about this when he talks about the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. He says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Hear me out. I've seen so many Christians like this. At one stage, I might consider myself one of those. Receive with joy. Receive with curiosity. We receive with a need to understand, but somehow something changes along the way. And the author of Hebrews is... The, the, the book of Hebrews is scattered with these warning passages. Let me read a couple to you. In Hebrews 2 verse 1, it says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. We can receive this most precious gift, but we can actually drift away. And then again in Hebrews 3, 12 to 13, it says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily. I love this. As long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. What day is today? Today. What day is tomorrow? When it comes by, it's today. The day after when we reach it, it's today. So how, when do we need to encourage one another? Every day. There's this sense that the Hebrew author was saying to these people who had the heritage and the understanding of Jewish custom, the history of what God was doing in humanity. And he was saying, if you don't stir it up today, you could drift away. You could lose it. Do you know why there's so many ineffective Christians? Do you want to know why there's so many Christians that are self-serving and selfish and living for themselves? It's because they are not encouraged today. It is because there has been a drift. They have read the gospel they have received the gospel but they no longer try to understand at live let us never be like that at live let us be stirring one another up let's be getting into small groups sign up for a lift group let us be doing whatever we can to get around each other one of the things about stay woke as we were thinking about it and another little thing that i was thinking of and, and I heard this a while ago. There was 168 hours in every single week. And, and this other pastor had created this um, theme about engage, engaging the 167. Because uh, their church ran for one hour every Sunday. And he was saying to his staff, we need to work out ways to engage the other 167 hours of our, uh, uh, of our weeks. And I want to put forward a challenge to you. How are you engaging your faith in the 168 hours that you have every single week? Can you imagine? Just a couple of days ago, I, I started poking around my iPhone and I started to look into how much time I spent on my phone. And when I looked into how much time I spent into my phone, I was like, I wonder where it would be if I spent that much time with God. I've now put a lock on how much time I'm allowed to spend on social media every single day. And over time, I'll probably bring it down a little bit. I've given myself an easy goal at the moment. Let's be honest. But there was a particular week where I spent a whole day of that whole week on social media. 
bit crazy. Must have been a very slow week. Or maybe I was just a very distracted week. Why is it that we allow these things to crowd our lives and fill our lives and we're not engaging the things that really matter? The author of Hebrews says that through constant use comes maturity. Am I Am I using this? Does this actually help me make decisions in my life? Does this actually give me direction for what I'm doing in my life? Or am I too distracted by so many things? There was a young person that came into this church a while ago and I was having a conversation with him and I was saying, mate, God's calls on your life, you should run with it and and all that kind of stuff. And then I told him the responsibilities that came with answering the call, and he said, oh, I'm too young to do that. Isn't it that when we are young, we should experience as much life as we can, and when I'm ready, then I'll come back? What kind of mindset is that? Jesus gave his life for you, and you're like, hey, I just want to experience the world first. I wouldn't be surprised, in fact, I would, have, I would expect that most of you have heard what God wants to do with your life. It might not be the full picture. Honestly, I don't think I've got the full picture. I think I've got a part of the picture. But what I've got is reasonably clear and enough for me to run with. And I think that God doesn't withhold a call that He has designed and placed in your life. He doesn't withhold it from you. But at the same time, this call sometimes seems to be a little bit hard to do right now. It requires this thing called faith, and sometimes I don't know if I've got enough of it. That's what it feels like. And so I'll say, I'm not going to step into that because I don't think I'm ready, and I'm going to do these things. Can I encourage you that that doesn't necessarily line up with the Word of God? I mean, there are seasons that we wait. There are seasons that we prepare ourselves. There are seasons where we enjoy and there are seasons where we sacrifice. There are all sorts of seasons, but would you say that you're making those decisions with what God is saying or is it because of, I don't know. You know, over the next three weeks, that we have in this series, we are going to be talking about, I guess, elements of how to stay woke. What does it mean to be woke? What does it mean to be impacted by the gospel and the call? What does it mean to live that out in our everyday lives? That's what this series is about. And for the rest of this year, we are going to be talking about different aspects. I'm really excited. Next month, we are going to be focusing on emotional health. And, and we've got a Lift Talks coming up where we've got uh, uh, three different speakers going to be talking about stress and anxiety. And we want to bring those kinds of events and those kind of preaching series. But can I say at the start of the year that you, Christian, you make up your mind whether you want the gospel to impact you the way that it should, or are you going to box it up and say that is too inconvenient? Are you going to be like... Uh, the, 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 the Jewish people who, who received the history and the amazing gospel of redemption and they said, I don't see it. Have you got questions about your faith that you, 
haven't allowed yourself to ask. Are you still seeking to understand? Are you seeking to make this happen? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. It says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? If Paul was to say, are you not just being a mere human? I'd be like, yes. And that's human. That's who I am. But when you think about this, this is crazy cool. A little while ago, I heard someone say, we need to stop Christians saying, I'm simply a sinner saved by grace. Because that's who you were. But that's not who you are. It's like going to a 20-year-old grown-up man and saying, hey, little boy, because that's who you were. Hang on, no, this is man now. We don't address men as boys, even though they once were boys. And so we're not just sinners saved by grace because that's who we were, but we are becoming something so much more. And so when Paul says, are you simply being a mere human? He's saying to you, there's so much more. Some of us are approaching our lives with the eyes of a human being. When God has said that I am renewing you, I am creating something new in you, the past no longer has a hold on you, you don't have to be like that anymore. I place a call on your life. I have placed meaning and purpose in there. There is something significant for you to do. But when we look at it with our mere human eyes, we say that's too hard, that's too tough, we push it away, and we say, or maybe we say that's too much sacrifice, whereas this looks a lot more attractive. But Paul is saying to each and every single one of us, are you simply being a mere human and the answer should be yes sometimes I am a mere human but by God's grace I can be so much more by God's grace I am going to be living in another way because he has placed something of greater significance in my life one of my prayers this morning was that this message wouldn't be a slap across the face because that's not what it's supposed to be but it's supposed to be an encouragement that, hey, come on, people. We have got something more to do. You know, some of you heard about red frogs and you go, ooh, that's good. I should do that. I say, oh, no, I have to talk to my boss. I don't like my boss. I don't want to talk to my boss. Who likes that guy anyway? Talking about that boss, what are we going to have for lunch? Yeah, where are we going for lunch? Why are we getting distracted by things that sometimes have got no eternal significance? Why are we living our lives getting caught up in things that are temporary rather than things that are truly important? Stay woke is not about us telling you off for what you're doing. Stay woke is about the fact that God has given you the most amazing gift. God has done the most amazing thing for you. So much so that the rest of your life can be lived with significance. Can be lived with peace. Can be lived with joy. Can be lived with excitement. Can be lived with everything that God has for you. 
You want to leave your anxiety? Do it, because you can. You want to leave your depression? Do it, because I'm not saying that tomorrow you'll be fine. But are you going to start the process, or are you going to keep whinging about it? I'm sorry if I offended anyone. It's not my point, but I hope that you understand that this stuff is dynamite. That this stuff changes lives. It's changed mine, and it can change yours. It has the ability to set you up for the rest of your life. And that's what we want with this year. That's what we want to see for you. Our mission at Lift is to inspire people to live. What are we inspiring people to? The life, true life that God has given to you. John 10 verse 10, Jesus said that I've come that you have real and eternal life, more and better life. There is no other life than the life that Jesus has brought for you. That's what we're all about. That's what we want to show you. We can get the band up this morning. One of the initiatives that we're setting up as part of this month is that we want to get you into the Word of God. Some of you are living without the promises of God because you don't know it. You don't know that God has done amazing things for you. You don't know that God has actually promised peace, goodness, love, joy to you. I love that Sandy brought up Psalm 23 because in worship, Psalm 23 came to my mind. And the last verse, I love that. The psalmist writes, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Not I will chase goodness and mercy. No, no, no. When I'm following the shepherd, goodness and mercy must align itself and chase after me wherever I go. Some of us are not living by the, by the peace of God that He has promised. Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He orders peace in your life, but you'd rather see the storm than to see Jesus in your boat. And so we want to engage you in the promises of God so that you know it, that you can face life with it, but we can't make you do it. And so we're going to encourage you as long as today is today. Actually for 21 days. Because after that, we hope that you started something. So we're doing 21 days of Bible engagement. And uh, what we're going to do is that at the end of the experience, um, you can see Hannah. Hannah, give us a wave. And uh, she'll be having a clipboard. And on it, you write down your name and your mobile number. And for the next 21 days, we will send you a text every single day with a little tip on how you can read your Bible and engage with your Bible better. It is not a perfect system, but for the next 21 days, we want to put the Bible on your mind. So when you get the text message, maybe it's like, oh, I've got to read my Bible today. That's what we're hoping will happen. It takes 21 days to build a habit. And so we'll track with you along these next 21 days in the hope that something sparks off for you. Just little something that we want to do to get you started. And so you, you can jump on that. We've also got a few copies of Project 73. Project 73 is a Bible reading plan that goes through the whole Bible in 73 weeks. And so it will take you till mid next year to finish off the whole Bible. But hey, why don't you start? You know, people get surprised when I tell them that I've read through the Bible cover to cover on multiple occasions. They're like, wow, you're so holy. It's like, no, I'm disciplined. And you can be too. And sometimes it takes something else, a tool that will help you. And so we've got a few copies of that that will be available as well. We just want you to start somewhere. Over the next couple of weeks, we've got some other initiatives that will help you as well. We don't want to just engage with your Sundays. We want to engage with your life. We want to engage your faith. We want to engage you in a sense that God is doing something today. 
in your life. That's what we want to do as a church. And you know, this morning, I'm not going to be laying hands and praying for people and casting out demons. I don't do that very often anyway. But can I just ask you to ask yourself, search within yourself, have you fallen asleep or are you awake? And are you going to join us in making a commitment to staying woke? The change might not happen immediately, but it's a commitment to daily exploring, staying curious, staying open, and allowing God's Word to be the preeminent Word in your life. I'm just ask everyone to stand right now. If you want to make that commitment this morning, can you just put your hand over your heart? This is not a forced thing. If you don't want to, don't do it. Honestly, you don't make me feel any better or worse if you don't want to. But if you want to make a commitment to staying woke this year, I want to pray over you. God, I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us. I thank you that you are the one that enables us to live truly. So for every person who is making this commitment this morning, I pray for courage, I pray for strength, but above everything, I pray for perseverance. I pray for a discipline to, uh, that, we will, uh, that we will build up in our lives to, uh, to, to understand that, God, that you have called us to so much more. God, I pray that distractions we will be able to see and we will be able to avoid. I pray that things that tempt us and try to drag us away from what you're wanting to do, I pray that, God, that you are able uh, to just highlight it and help us to see. God, help us through constant use to be able to discern from good and evil, to be able to grow up, to be able to graduate to solid food because, God, you are doing something in our lives, that you are doing something glorious. And God, nothing compares to the eternal work that you are doing in us. And I pray that we commit ourselves to it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I think the band has chosen a song to these leaders in this, in this moment. Can we just sing this as part of our commitment and our dedication, and we're going to close the experience from there. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.